With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Danny Battenfight Show, powered by Violent Money. And of course, you can check out Violent Money on YouTube, Violent Money TV. I've uh, got some absolute cracking interviews on there, including some of my own with uh, Mighty Mouse and uh, Gary Tunin, Thornley, a couple of those dropped, which I did. And they've got some great ones with Dan Hardy and uh, a few others as well, of course. So check them out. And if you go to violetmoney.co.uk, you can use the code ACE20 and get 20% off. Uh, We'll have more information on the Violet Money Academy coming soon. But in the meantime, check out the Violet Money Academy uh, social media as well as all their other social media platforms. Please do give them a follow. Tell them we sent you. And, uh, of course, they have the first smart MMA gym in the UK. 
But um, we're going to kick off the show as usual with an exclusive chat with a, a t- another top name from the world of combat sports. We'll have uh, our boxing pundit Ben Doty joins us later on to talk last night's boxing. And we'll be discussing Cage Warriors 135 and 136, among other things. We'll also have a look at uh, UFC 273, I think it is. Uh, next week, which is obviously going to be a good one. We're live on YouTube and Facebook at the moment still, so um, check it out, spread the word, share the link, all that, uh, all the usual stuff. And if you prefer your podcast in audio form, then the show will be uploaded pretty much straight after onto the Danny Batten Fight Show stream, which is available through the Sports Social Podcast Network and, of course, you know all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, all of them. Anyone you could think of, Google, Stitcher, all that good stuff. But let's get to the the fun stuff now that we've got the housekeeping out of the way i am as always delighted to be joined by a former cage warriors champion a uk mma legend mr daniel button how are you yeah i'm good sign listeners um i'm all good uh, tr- trust me right if you could see me right now i'm sat here with my slippers pajama bottoms on i'm wearing something nice and cozy look all my nighttime stuff with a cap on back to front try to look cool for the camera yeah. Well, at least you can imagine. At least you got trousers on. That's the main thing. Is, you know, that's not, not always. That's not always the case. So <laughs> it's, it's vital that that is uh, that is the case. And uh, as I mentioned, we're joined by another top guest from uh, the world of combat sports, and uh, it's, he's a first timer as well, which is always good. And delighted to be joined by uh, Bellator MMA's lightweight uh, head of his bout with Alfie Davis in uh, in a few weeks' time. It is Mr. Tim Wild. How are you, mate? Hello, I'm really good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, top man, mate. It's really been, uh, it's been a good one. I just think it's going to be a very good chat and uh, very much looking forward to it. Um, so what we kind of tend to do is we flit around a little bit. We'll have some questions. If they come in from the live chat, we'll talk about all sorts, really. Um, and we'll talk about how you got into MMA and all, you know, all that sort of stuff. But first and foremost, I think we should ask you about your last fight and your next fight and kind of how you feeling about both of those and and uh, give us an insight into that side of it. Yeah, perfectly. Um, well, my last fight, it's actually been a little bit longer um, than I wanted to. I wanted to be more active, but I uh, was in October the 1st, I think, against um, French fighter Landu, Yves Landu. Um, and it was, you may or may not know, but it was my... Um, first fight back after having quite a serious knee injury I tore my ACL and my MCL uh, and it me out for 12 months well a bit longer uh, but the surgery was, uh, following the surgery was 12 months um, uh, and I, funnily enough I was just on the phone to my manager out in the States um, previous to this and I was saying to him that you know uh, that fight uh, that was like the final tick of my rehabilitation so mm. You can imitate a fight in training and you can train to a high intensity, but you can't actually have a fight unless you have a fight, as silly as it sounds. And that was what I, you know, like I said, the last test on my knee. And and I did that October. uh, And I believe that kind of held me back a little bit in that fight. But it also was a massive win and positive coming off the back of that to know that I was capable of fighting still. Um, as I say, you can pressure test yourself in the gym, but it's never the same as a fight. I knew he was going to target it. And uh, yeah, so now that final tick of the rehab is done. 
uh, I was just saying, as I said to my manager, I haven't even thought about my knee once since then. Uh, just getting stuck in my training, doing my strength and conditioning as normal. Uh, and, and this fight in six weeks' times against uh, Alfie, uh, I'm just super excited to get in there. I believe that it's going to be the best version of me with uh, no... Restrictions, no uh, mental barrier of my, or is my knee going to be able to hold up? It's just going to be me at my best. And, uh, There's no uh, mental. Sorry, that's oh, my that's a my bit thing. Of a delay there. Yeah, it's my <laughs> um, thing. Sorry. No worries. And um, you know, uh, when I fought Lando in October, that was um, the first time I represented my new gym and my new team, Renegade, which I have actually been training with for nearly over two years now, but uh, on and off around my surgery. Um, but I, I, felt, I felt like that didn't give the full representation of how I've grown since, and developed since moving to Renegade. So I really feel like this fight will allow me to do that. Um, so, yeah, as I say, six weeks' time, just super excited to get in there with him and show everyone how I've, um, how I've grown these last few years. Like... Knee injuries are brutal, especially like those ACL and MCL tears and and stuff like that. It's so so difficult to come back from, um, and obviously it's the time out as well, particularly as a fighter and like the time out of the gym, the recovery time, the rehab, all that sort of stuff. Like, how frustrating and difficult did you find that period where you were out, you know, indefinitely, pretty much for like the best part of a year? Um, it was difficult. Uh, and I think it, there was positives and negatives to the fact that it was during COVID. So everybody else in the world was much more inactive than there would have been anyway due to COVID. So that was kind of a positive. I didn't fall too far behind. But one of the negatives was all the... I, I was going to swear that I'm not sure if I can. No, but all, right. the can. All, the blood, <laughs> all the bloody gyms were shut. So yeah. I was doing my rehabilitation with my missus uh, DIY makeshift kind of weightlifting stuff in a freezing cold factory unit, uh, you know, and it, ju- it was just what had to be done. But, um, yeah, so the mental side of it, though, for anybody who's suffered bad injury and trying to get back to high-level sport, that is by far the hardest. So I'm used to working hard. I'm used to pushing myself into deep waters and having to work really hard in training and in fights. But the me- it was the mental, like you say, you know, the going from training, I don't know, two to four hours a day for two sessions a day to not being able to do anything at all for six weeks because my leg was in a, a locked in a brace. You know, mm. I, I could barely walk. So that was really hard. The first few months were hard. But as I was able to start lifting weights and bending into my knee and stretching and, you know, by I think month four, um, I was able to start boxing work again. So it, it, it or got better, but then first two to three months are very, very tough. You just have to dig deep, though. I mean, if you're an MMA fighter and you're not mentally tough, you're not going to be doing very well as an MMA fighter anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah. In You've mind. got to be strong, be, be strong um, mentally, I think, for all aspects of it. It's something we talk about a lot. Um, Danny, I've spoken to a few fighters recently, um, both with, with you on the Sunday and also in the studio, and, and Tim's just kind of uh, touched on it a bit there. But um, a lot of fighters have been saying to me recently, like if they're, when they're injured, even if it's a serious injury, they want to work around it as quick as possible. So if it's a leg injury, they're quite quick to do sort of upper body stuff, boxing, whatever it may be. Like, 
was that common? Is that the same for you, Dan, when you were back, you know, back in the day? Or did you yeah. stay relatively injury-free? Because no one Yeah, no, no, I went through my injuries, uh, both my knees. I ended up injuring at different points yeah, in my right, career. So I, I really feel uh, Tim's pain, you know, not just with the knee itself, but the whole process is really um, frustrating being restricted. But listen, you'll always hear people who are winners, you know, people who are successful talk about still working hard and working through it and staying positive. Um, you know, it's the ones that won't quite make it that will use it as an excuse to sit on their laurels, get down and depressed about it and, and don't push to get through it. You know, just t Tim's talking like a, a successful MMA fighter, like an MMA fighter who's successful should. You know, he's mm. talking about finding ways around to stay fit and, um, you know, and, and, and trying to look things in a positive light, you know, about to finish off his rehabilitation in the fight. You know, he went in there with doubt, still pulled off a win. Um, I always knew there was something um, special about Tim while back in. I'm just going to check the date of this because it was uh, back a little while. 2016, I remember you fighting that Martin Delaney. Um, he had a really yeah. good fight record. And I know that people in the gym would talk about you uh, and stuff because I know you've uh, fought one of our guys, Jefferson George. So we sort of like was watching your career thereafter. And um, that was kind of a fight that I thought if you pull this one off uh, like you did, and in the way you did, I knew that you was going to go on to bigger and better things than you have. You're now on to Bellator. But, um, you know, you know that's how I would see, like, a turning point where I thought, hey, look, you know, people are going to have to start sitting up and, and looking at this kid. He means business. Is there any particular fight other than that one? You know, would you say that was a pinnacle fight where you was like, hey, you know, what, I'm here. I'm here to stay to make an impression at the top tier of things. Or what, what fight stood out for you where you knew he was breaking through? Ah. Uh. Well, first of all, thank you for that. That's uh, kind words, and yeah, that 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 was a a pinnacle point in my career where, uh, as you say, he'd come off of the back of um, I think the UFC tryouts, hadn't he? He was eleven and zero or eleven and one. He'd only lost one decision, and I kind of made a statement in previous interviews before the title fight on FCC. I was saying I'm I'm going to stop him. I'm going to be the first one to stop him, and I, I just really believed in myself and just really dug deep in training and stayed positive and. You know, he, he was more of a grinder, kind of put you up against the cage, put you down on your back and ground and pound, whereas I was the sharper striker. A funny little story, actually. I remember weighing in. I had a tough weight cut for that fight and uh, he was built, you know, he was very shredded, like looked like a Greek god. And, well, I'm just a <laughs> tall, skinny, fat ginger kid, you know, from Birmingham. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I, I remember his corner looking at me laughing and thinking, there's just no way this guy's going to beat this guy. And I knew, I just knew that I was going to beat him and I knew I was going to stop him. That was a big fight for me. And I think, like you say, people started to realise that um, I was here and I was serious about it. Um, there was, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, one of the one fight that was where I, re I kind of found out that I wasn't invincible was when I fought on cage rows. I fought... Um, a kid named Alexander Jakobsen. Um, and it was, it was a basically a title contender fight. There was big talks of me getting um, fish gold following that. And um, I, I think maybe I'd gone too much, believed, gone too much the other way, believing in myself a bit too much. And uh, I just, I thought, I honestly thought I was just going to put him away in the first or second round. And I, I'm not sure if you've watched the fight, but in a nutshell, I pretty much dominate the whole fight and land well over 50 strikes on the kid the kid's bleeding and I'm too sharp for him and I'm just getting a bit complacent and the first punch he lands a big massive overhand right knocks me out 
Uh, and that was a big learning curve for me in my career as well. Uh, on the opposite end of the question that you asked, but those are two massive fights for me that stood out that um, kind of was a, a, a change in my uh, my growth and development through the sport and my career so far. Um, so, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? I, I find it really fascinating because, like, obviously, often people like fans or media or whatever, they will look at a fighter's career or they'll be watching and they will think a particular fight is like a, a turning point or a learning curve or, or something. But it's not always, doesn't always match up with the fighters or the fighters' teams and what they think has come out, you know, what they've got out of that particular fight. Um, in terms of your start into combat sports and, and, and that side of things, uh, Tim, how old were you when you first sort of went into combat sports? Um, I started martial arts, uh, Shotokan Karate. I started that when I was eight years old. Um, okay. My kind of parents and some some friends that lived on the street by me uh, were going there and my parents kind of pushed me to go towards that. I was always very sportive, but I'd never done any combat sports. But, you know, with the red hair and stuff, I got bullied at school and they were like, oh, it should be good for you, you know, learn some self-defence. And um, I remember going along with uh, two of my friends, and Andy and Stuart, and... Uh, didn't really like it, it just went because I went and my parents said, and it took me a couple of years to get into it. Uh, they had fell off at that point and my parents were quite strict and they really pushed me to keep going. Um, and yeah, by around the age of 10, 11, I started to actually really enjoy the training. I'd always been about football and basketball. Um, mm -hmm. And then I just stuck at it and um, I started competing with it because I, I, was, I was quite you know, I was because I actually wanted to be there from the point of around like say 10, 11, started putting some effort in uh, and I started progressing quickly, started competing nationally, internationally and um, kind of grew from there. And all through my adolescent years, I, I was like, uh, I fought in the world championships. I, I, lot, I got disqualified to the guy that went on to lose. It was being a semi, a semi-contact sport. I think he played the game a little bit, but um Hey ho! Uh, I won the European Championships. Um, I was numerous times British champion, and yeah, I got. I kind of started when I got to around seventeen, eighteen. I started filling out as an adult and kind of growing into my man body, if you like. And uh, I felt like I wanted to try something more contact, so um, I went and tried boxing. Didn't really like that. Went and uh, tried some Japanese jujitsu. Didn't like that, uh, and then found an MMA gym. It took they, this is all over a period of from like seventeen, eighteen to about twenty-one, um, and then I seen the Ultimate Fighter um, on the very first season, Forrest Griffin, uh, and I was like, oh, what's this? I, I, you know, again thinking I was invincible, I can do this. I, I could fight and uh, be one of these UFC guys, and um, found a local MMA gym, and I just started doing MMA once a week in a community hall like how everybody kind of started it. And um, yeah, and then I found UTC, which um, this was UTC staffs. So it was a little sister gym of the the big UTC we all know from Birmingham. And I was their first member. I joined there. I think I was um, 22 slash 23. Uh, and it just progressed from there. And it was a case of, I was an electrician. I had my own business, which I loved doing, and me and my dad, and we had a little company, and I was quite fortunate that I earned decent money and a nice car. And I, Basically, my whole life in, in 10 years changed from uh, working full-time as an electrician, doing MMA as a hobby, to um, 
and having some money to having no money, being a pro fighter, earning nothing and working very little as an electrician <laughs> to then fortunately making it to Bellator and earning some more money again and, and being able to now kind of live and live comfortably but give the sport and the, the dedication and time and training that it needs. So um, I've dabbled in martial arts, to answer your question, since I was eight years old. But my my core martial art and my passion was, for a good 10, 12 years, was Shotokan Karate. And um, you can probably see that in my style with the way I fight and stuff. So, yeah, it's been it's been a good journey so far and still loving every minute of it. Yeah, long way to go, mate. Long way to go still, like, in terms of your journey. I think you could just going to... You're gonna hit your peak soon, and I think we'll see even more from you. Um, Danny, for the for those of us who are not sure the difference, what's the difference between karate and Shotokan karate? Well, there's lots of different forms of karate. It's not just Shotokan. Right, yeah, I mean, okay. Shotokan was. I, I presume you did a lot of forms and patterns as well, didn't you? Yeah, we used to do a lot of kata. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of, of kata. I used to do taekwondo, which again was kata based, but. We, we, we was quite a big competitive gym, so we used to, you know, do a lot of sparring and stuff. Um, I think the defining difference between the karate is, uh, you know, you've got that real full contact style, um, you know, which is, you, you see a lot of the karate guys go across over and, and do, you know, fight K1 against the Thai boxers, don't you? Um, but uh, we, I always remember when we used to go Taekwondo, there used to be uh, a karate club in the sports hall next to us. And then every now and then we would meet up and try to figure out a, a competitive format to do a training day together. And they was all very, very big on their ippon punches. I remember they used to drop their stance. I can't remember the style of karate it was now, but I know they would be not, not very nice to receive one of their body shots with their ippon punch. Um, I don't know whether that's yeah. something that your style was big on, but I know that was something that used to catch us out with and sometimes plant us on our asses, hitting us in the body mm. while we're trying to do our jumping spinny kicks. Um, yeah, it was um, a shot. That's very much from Shotokan Karate. That's um, it's a very low stance kind of yeah. a straight right backhand power to the that's midsection right. that scores like an ippon, which is the highest score you can have in in that form of karate. So um, I, I've kind of come from that style. So I, I totally get what you mean there. That yeah, you, I you, think had the, you had. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's Kushinkai, isn't it? That, I think that's the one, isn't it? That they cross over quite well. We, we got that style in our club, and it looks yeah. pretty pretty harsh. Yeah, and then you have the Wadaru fighters. There, they were more up high, bouncy, and elusive. Um, yeah. As style of shot shot karate was very traditional. A lot of kata, a lot of low stances, always looking for that score to the body, like you say. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's given me a real great base. For my MMA, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, would you would you say like um, you know because obviously you have your hands up like you should in MMA. You, you don't have your hands completely dropped down like I know that that style of karate would would have. You know, you're very aware. So would you say that you you've not wanted to lose any of your karate style and um, you know in, and skill set? Would you say you've just added to it? Because this is something that I always say for people who come with a background and say all you have to do is just just add to your skill set, maybe change your starting form. Um, but don't lose what you've already got and just try to add to it. Would you say that's what you've done to make your successes the way you have in um, MMA when yeah. you're striking? Yeah, I think that's that's like, as regards to a coaching point of view, that's excellent because you shouldn't, I don't believe, try and 
change someone. You know, like me coming in as a karate fighter, you know, my MMA coach shouldn't try and make me fight like a wrestler or like a Thai boxer or, you know. Mm. So um, I definitely agree with you there totally. And I think that, yeah, there was some things, you know, like it's quite – actually my style of karate was quite a low guard. Uh, I can't really show you here. It's quite a low – God, I had to learn to pull that up, and I get caught out now and again with it. Still, now it's kind of inbred into me, but I've had to really try myself to make sure I'm aware of covering uh, myself. But one of the biggest things that um, I took from my style of karate was the rush in and the rush out. Yeah, so the way I, my footwork and the way I can kind of lunge in and lunge at cover distance quickly, quickly, and it's um, I know it's the actual. It, Funnily enough, my teammate's fighting him, um, Fabian Edwards, but Loyalty Machida comes from the same um, style, right. Shotokan yeah. Karate. So Fabian's been beating me up every week, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, inspiring. But um, yeah, it's a very much kind of uh, the, 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 we can cover distance quickly. And uh, I've kept that massively because that obviously helps a lot with, um, with MMA, being able to do that. Uh, and, and the footwork, the angles that I use. So that would be, for me, what I would say is the biggest thing I've took away from karate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just added to my game. I've actually, uh, since moving to Team Renegade, I bought on a new striking coach, which you'll know, Damien Trainer. Uh, he's bought stripped me right back. I say stripped me, not stripped anything away that I've got. He's brought me back down and I'm drilling basics. I'm drilling just straight left hooks, straight low kicks. And I've really, really been enjoying it, you know, because... If you've seen one, some of my fights, I've got the spinning kicks and the the jumping stuff. But to to get traditional and just use that, get that basic solid left hook, solid low kick again. I've really been enjoying it, so it's good to incorporate that back into my style. So, mm, yeah, I think sometimes everyone gets caught up with trying to perform like emphatic moves and that, but you've got to do it from good structure. I think it's good. I, I, I every now and then go back to my boxing coach and just say, look, can we go back over all the basics again? I'll probably do it once or twice a year and I'll, I'll yeah. do a program of four or five one-to-one sessions and reprogram myself. I, d- I just find that, you know, if you don't go back to those core basics and get stripped down with someone with a real c- critical eye, you kind of lose some kind of foundation. I think this is what I'd argue has happened a little bit with uh, Conor McGregor. I feel like he's lost, lost a little bit of his foundation. Maybe, I, I, I don't know, someone ain't stripping him back to those basics. I'll call it our MOT in your game. I think it's really, really good to go back to that. And it's holding that tight form because, look, anyone could throw out a punch. You know, someone could throw a windmill punch and knock you out. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what really, really matters is the structure of your base, your balance and your guard. I think if you're, as invincible as you can be to what might come at you, you're always in it to therefore throw your shots forward, however technical or, or good or bad they are. You know, I think throwing out the strikes is sometimes the easy part. I think it's structuring your form, base and balance that's the bit that gets overlooked by so many gyms and so many coaches. So, um, yeah, it's really I'd good agree. to know that you're, you're still you know, happy to go back to your base. So many people ain't happy to. It's a little bit like being a black belt in one system and then knowing you've got to start again as a white belt in another system. Sometimes people are like, oh, oh, I don't fancy any of that. But um, I think it's great to stay with almost that beginner mind uh, as well as, of mm-hmm. course, having to strategize for your level. You're up at world class. I understand things have to get quite micromanaged at your level. But 
it is always good good policy to go back to some form of basics and and take diff- take different perspectives from different coaches as well. I like um, asking and posing questions to different background of striking coaches and get their perspective on things. Um, I just find it all absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I'm, we're re- we've been really blessed at um, Renegade. We've been having. Um, a striking coach come and work with us now twice a week, Joby Clayton, a uh, boxing coach. He, he's stripping us all right back. He's very, very big on basics and it's great. You know, we, we spend half of the session just making sure our feet are in the right place. We're balanced. Uh, we're loaded up to not only dish out a shot, but take a shot. Um, Cause you're in a fight, you're going to get hit. So you don't want to be off balance. Like you say, exactly. Any, any, you could train a monkey to throw a punch, but it's you have to put yourself in the right position and have your base solid to be able and and then land it, you know. To mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, I, and as I say, we, we've got Joby on board and I work with Damien. I've I bought uh, another guy on Nathan Epps who comes from the K Star kind of Thai boxing scene along with Damien and stuff. So yeah, I, I love all that. Like I, I, I am that guy that will happily warm up. And drill for an hour a jab like on a bagger like yeah, oh, yes. I'll do that I'll do that it's great to throw spinning up kicks and jumping scissor knees and you know all these fancy <laughs> stuff but basics are what works how often do you see them finish fights they're, they're few and few between it's basics that win fights I don't know so, you did win with a nice heel kick well in one of your yeah. fights in your early career a really nice one did yeah. you see that, that was a, that was a, yeah, you see that heel kick yesterday by yeah, uh, yeah. what's his name on Cage Warriors. Oh, yeah, um, landed picture. Uh, Manny Akpan, wasn't it? Akpan, yes. Yeah. I seen the highlight. Unreal. I didn't watch the full fight. Yeah, yet, but yeah, it looked the same. Yeah, I watched highlight. Unreal. It was kind of mid midst of a scramble, wasn't it? So yeah, it yeah. was, it was, it was nice. Like it was very unorthodox. It was almost mm-hmm. like he was off balance as he threw it as well. He was, mm. he was like he was toppling over. But um, it, yeah, that was. Yeah, it. well, no, because it's such a big wheel kick, he has to counterbalance. Mm. So, because he was throwing it so so wild, or well, not wild, but you know, throwing it so so big. Yeah, it's impressive. Nice one to have on anyone's highlight reel. That one. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so Tim, just before we focus, uh, not focus, but like talk a bit more about your fighting side of your career. You mentioned that you were you were kind of into uh, other sports when you were younger. I was wondering if you were like any good at any of them in terms of like you know whether it was football, rugby, athletics. Were you like? ever sort of any good where you were at a certain level um i used to have a nickname as a kid they used to call me uh daily thompson because i could put my hand to any sport and i was always all right at any sport and i like to believe that whatever sport i'd have chosen i'd have done good at because this is what i like to believe but you know only the powers above know that answer to that question but um, I was always a good defender, footballer, um, you know, but never played um, semi-pro or anything, but kind of like Sunday league, played well, played uh, basketball. I was always really good at basketball. Uh, I played for the district of basketball. Um, and then with the main two, really, I dabbled in other sports. Um, I, I, I did swim and they asked me to swim for the county, but I never I never actually followed that through. Um, but like as a kid at kind of eight, 10 years old, I was three nights a week karate, two night, uh, one night and one Saturday morning swimming, two nights a week basketball and sun. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sunday morning basketball and then Sunday afternoon football. It was just, it was all too much. So around the age of about 12 or 13, I, I just decided to fully focus. I think I did keep playing football till I was older, but I just focused on uh, martial arts. And luckily, you know, I mean, if you'd have asked me at 16, do you think you'll be involved in martial arts at nearly 35 and it'll be your job but I'd have been no I'd have, well at 16 I'd have had no idea what I was going to do probably but um, even at 21 when I started MMA would I have thought 10 years on I'd be earning a living from it and fighting probably not so I'm very in some ways I used to get cheesed off at my dad for pushing me to go to martial arts but I'm very grateful of it now because it's given me the life that I can live now and you know, it sounds cheesy, but I, 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 I am very blessed and I wake up every day very grateful to be able to do this as a living because for every kind of one person that does, there's probably three who try and don't and that. So, you know, I know I've put the work in to kind of earn it, but I am very grateful of, of that and I always remember that. So, um, but yeah, I was going off on a tangent there, sorry. But as yeah, for other sports, yeah, I'm, I'm okay at other sports, but... Whether I'd have been a star in any other, probably not, to be honest. Daily Thompson, what a nickname. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose the younger viewers won't even know who he is anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of didn't as a kid. It's only as I researched him because people would, like, my, my parents <laughs> and some of my family would call it me because I'd go and play him at a game of tennis, never played tennis before and whoop him. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's not a bad, uh, bad little skill to have, though, is it? That you can just pick up, like... Any kind of sport and be all right, you know. Like if, yeah, especially no, if you're um, younger, it's a good thing to have, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it kind of. I think like you know, I touched on a little bit earlier that I was bullied a bit. I was never severe, anything severe, but I think that kind of always helped because yeah, oh, ginger this and ginger that. But I was always good at football, so they'd still want me to be on their team. Or do you know what I mean? So it was because I was yeah. sporty, it helped. Uh, I was still seen as a little bit cool or whatever, you know. <laughs> did you um? Did you used to get into like many fights and stuff in school and things like that because of that then or? Um, yeah, I think kind of at a young young age. I had a few tussles, kind of thirteen and twelve, whatever. And then towards the end of school, I did have a couple of bad fights and and into you know the kind of early drinking years, 17, 18, 19. I mean, kids nowadays, don't, surprisingly, they don't really go out boozing at that age. But back when mm-hmm. I was 17, 16, it was all I wanted to do, man. Yeah, get my you... Ben Sherman shirt on and get out on the town with the lads. But yeah, so I'd had a few scraps then. And got, you know, I've never had a fight. Um, at, like since starting MMA at 21, 22, I've never had an altercation or a fight. Um, Ever uh, and I hope I never have to. You know, I want to get paid if I am. So, but mm. um, I, something about training. Uh, Danny will be able to appreciate this. Something about training hard every day and fighting. That it's like I don't know. I'm just calm. I'm just chilled. I don't. I don't I'm not interested in fighting you, mate, and any trouble and stuff. So, yeah, I often yeah. wonder if, particularly like young fighters who you know when they're in between camps and stuff, so they go and have a few beers with their mates and stuff. 
whether people kind of they want to make a name for himself and they want to try it on with the professional fighter. And it must get like tiring and just monotonous to constantly have these like people coming up because I know a few people around here have had like little issues with it. And it's just like, you know, just go and enjoy your night and don't. Uh, but it sounds as if you didn't really have too much bother of that from that side of things. No, like. Yeah. Sorry, go on, go on. I, was, I was just going to say that I absolutely agree, though, that you know, doing the tra- training or you know, particularly for MMA anyway, I mean, I presume it was for four MMA, maybe boxers, it calms the ego. Um, I, I, I think it's because in your training environment, there's always someone that can beat you, isn't there? So you kind of just got to eat humble pie, and it, I don't know, it's just a calming influence on your ego, and I think it does help you conduct yourself well, and also I think, um, having that air of confidence but not arrogance i think you know when, when you are training and you are a fit young man and you know you can handle yourself there is a sense of confidence um and you carry yourself off better and i think that's a great way of avoiding potential confrontation um yeah yeah that, that's how, how i think it is and you know of course it's whether you put yourself in environments where something could kick off i think that's a lot to do with it as well but i come from an era where you know as soon as you're 18 um, that's it you're off out and i used to go you know, clubbing and pubbing on a Friday and Saturday night, you know, every weekend. You know, it's just one of those things that was done when you're young. Um, but I think fighting in the street now is so different from, you know, maybe you touched uh, perhaps in, in your lifetime, it may have been like this as well. I'm, I'm a bit older than you being 48. But back along when I was ever getting into any altercations, everyone used to crowd around just used to start a fair fight. Um, this day and age, you just never know. There's a lot of revengeful things going on. You never know whether you're going to get acid in your face. You're going to get bladed up by one of their mates and they come and get you in a gang. You know, it's, it's the street code has really changed and got a lot more, a lot more dangerous, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I think it's bad. I, I quite like, um, it was quite gentlemanly and like respectful. But like I, I used to work, when I was an electrician, we had an old boy work with us. He's rest in peace. He's dead now. But he uh, he would tell me that that at school, if there was ever a fight, that you're right, right, we'll meet you over the park, and they'll they'll yeah. have a fight, and then they'll be mates, and it's just that's it. I was like, yeah, kind of. I touched on it a bit when I was leaving school. There'd be like rival schools come down, gangs, and you'd hear a knives and that. Oh, but yeah. nowadays, it's it's even worse. I mean, yeah. you want your kid in martial arts to be able to just defend and look after himself. But how well is that going to do when there's three or four of them and one of them's got a knife or acid, like yeah. you say? It's, it's, I think the, the beautiful thing about martial arts and MMA and, you know, combat sports, it's, it, it gives you an awareness, doesn't it? Like you say, a confidence. If I saw some shit going down in a local pub here, it's a bit rough where I live in Boxridge, you know, I would just be like, pick up, if I was with my mates or the missus, like, come on, let's just, let's, move on and you kind of aware of it and you move on you just kind of avoid them mm. things um but yeah you know somebody who perhaps i mean i'm not saying other people aren't like that they probably are but i, fe- I felt that like martial arts gave me that awareness and that confidence to be able to recognize that and and, and to just not have to be dragged into it or drawn into it and just walk away mm-hmm. but from Do my you... experience sorry uh, yeah, uh just 
quickly, like when I was an amateur fighter, where when I, I lived in Canuck at the time, and that has a bit of a rep for fighting and stuff, I used to feel a bit like early on as an amateur, oh, he's a cage fighter. You know, you get a bit of eyes and a bit of argy-bargy, but nothing too serious. But actually, as I progressed and the scene that I was serious about it, and uh, as I went pro and I was doing well, I got a bit more of a local following. The guys, you know, the local drug dealers or the local hard knocks would come up to me and be like, oh, you're Timmy, you mate. Oh, best of luck, mate. You're doing really well with your MMA and really got respect for you and that. And it was quite the opposite. Rather than them wanting to test me or, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, they, were, they were behind me. So that's from yeah. my personal experience, which mm-hmm. glad it was that yeah, way. That makes sense. Yeah. I also think as you get older, you can kind of, when you're out and about, you can spot if things are getting a bit, like in the in the place, the pub or the club or whatever. If like as you get older, you tend to, to notice if the atmosphere is getting a bit shitty and shady and whatever. So you can quite often kind of like you're saying, you can move on and avoid it without having to wait for it to happen. But it's just and you know it's one of them things, isn't it? Alcohol and alcohol and egos. Um, so Tim, like in terms of your career now, what is like, what's your ambitions, your aims? Where's your focus going? Obviously, into your next fight, but sort of, I don't want to say past that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I I set goals all the time, and I have short term, mid, and long term goals, and um, you know, ultimately, I I I want to be and believe I can be. Uh, champion in the Bellator division. I look at the the two guys that fought for the belt last, uh, Peter Keeley and uh, the the Pitbull brother, Patricky yeah. Pitbull. And I don't, you know, I don't see them as way out of my league out by any means. I feel like I would match up with them perfectly now. So the the goal is to become champion in the division. Um, I want that gold strap, but short term, I, I know I need to win. I know. See, I know Bellator thought highly of me when they kind of put me in with Brent Primus as my first fight, being the former champ. So, and I knew it was a tough ask, and I knew at the time that my manager knew at the time, and it was. Uh, but you know, I'm a fighter. I'm going to fight whoever they put in front of me. Um, you know, I have proper management now who kind of perhaps may guide me a bit different now. But I. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm waffling on here. But going back to your question, I, I short-term beat Alfie and I'm looking to fight again this year. I believe they want me on Dublin. Um, that's kind of come through. My manager, they want me on Dublin. So that'll be two in this year. This is my second contract with Bellator. So the money's better. So that's re- really going to help take financial pressure off me um, to the point where now I can invest and actually get out and go and, you know, go and train at, like, aka Thailand for four weeks. I can start adding more to my game. I already invest in myself. I get different coaches in. And oh, even better, my... come for free at BST at Northampton. How about that? That's a, do you know what, mate? <laughs> While you say that, though, you, uh, I was talking to Jordan when I seen him at Battle Arena the other week, and, and uh, I forget the guy's name. Um, Shorter, shorter fella, mixed race fella. He, he invited me down, and I said, "Like, I'd love to come down." I think he's is he a jujitsu coach or one of them? I forget oh, his name. I Sorry, well, uh, I, I do the jujitsu there. Um, oh, do, I don't oh. know who that would be. Um, oh, I think it's RVP something on Instagram. Oh, um, Raymond. Uh, Raymond. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My he sister coach. Me, yeah. I, I, I didn't even know him. 
I didn't yeah, even know. Yeah. Him, but I know. Apologies, but what, yeah. whilst you say that, he invited me down, and I said, we, you know, we're not we're not fighting each other. We should work together and like look, look to grow and build. And so mm. I, I will definitely uh, take you up on that. But um, yeah, just just able to invest more in myself. As I said, I'm 35 this year in June. I know I'm kind of hitting my peak now, and I'm going to just have a real run at it. I've got no financial pressure. Uh, I'm very settled in my home personal life. Touch wood, the injuries, you know, injuries are injuries. I train smart. I train for longevity in the sport. So it's just have a real good crack at it now and uh, get me that strap. Um, mm-hmm. that's yeah, I think one of your one of your strengths, I think, to, to have a real shot at this title is the fact that you're a really high, hard guy to train for. I know because I trained someone for you. And I think one of the difficulties is that anyone's going to have facing you is it's really hard to get anyone to emulate that closing the distance that you spoke about. You're so good. You're like a um, like a fencer. If you, I remember, um, uh, you know, reading about like top martial artists would study uh, the way a fencer moves forward. It's they're, they're one of the quickest at moving forward, and that's something I think you've got in your favour. That's going to be really, really hard for anyone to make judgment on when they're in there facing you under pressure. Um, I think this is your main skill set, and I think this is something that you can play off to get the win. You know, when you mentioned that Brent um, uh, Primus, amazing grappler, really, really amazing grappler. The thing is, you actually put him on his ass. Um, I just think you got a little too excited, and and maybe you thought you hurt him more than you really did, and you jumped on him a little bit because it was your first time on that. Bellator Arena, right? And uh, mm. you want to make big impressions. I think maybe you got a, a little bit too excited in that moment. But you're putting people like that on his ass. I mean, he's no slouch at understanding range and distancing. You caught him out. Um, I really think if you faced him second time around, it would be definitely going in your favour. Um, I'm really excited to watch the, the remaining part of your career because I do think you've hit the cusp of your peak. And I think the next three years are going to be really telling on whether you're going to make it. And I would put money that I think you can. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, Tim, we're gonna uh, we're gonna allow you to uh, to go now, mate. But uh, look, really appreciate you joining us. That um, sort of forty five minutes or so has flown by. I gotta be honest. Um, if you'd like to come back and join us, obviously you're welcome back anytime. Perhaps you can come back after your fight, and uh, we can have a chat about that and stuff. That'll be real good. But um, yep. yeah, definitely keep in touch, mate, and uh, we'll see you very soon. Best of luck with your fight. Thank you very much. And I'll happily come back and uh, talk about, hopefully, another spinning up kick on Alpha yeah. Davis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Fingers and crossed, uh, mate. I'll hopefully see you soon as well, Danny. Absolutely. You're always welcome, Tim. All right, mate. Thank no you. Worries, buddy. Good luck. Take care, Cheers, mate. Tim. Thanks, Ben. Tim Wild, good guest. That was real. That 45 minutes flew by. And uh, straight away, as is tradition, we're joined by a resident boxing pundit, author, and, of course, boxing trainer, Mr. Ben Doherty. How are you, my friend? I'm good, as usual, guys. Hope you're well. Yeah, we it's all good. So, um, an interesting evening of boxing yesterday yesterday night. Um, obviously, the, the kind of main fight, which I was following personally, was the um, the Chris Jenkins versus Florian Marku uh, fight. I was looking forward to it. And... Uh, I thought Florian Marco did pretty well. I thought Chris Jenkins looks all right until he got finished. Um, but I'm more interested in what you thought of the, the kind of fight overall and then obviously some of the other fights as well. Yeah, you know, um, I got quite enthused about Chris Jenkins' approach to the fight. The first two rounds, I thought he did very well. He obviously had a very solid game plan 
and was looking to use his physical advantages and his skills, you know, um, his reach, etc. And um, yeah, I mean, I must admit, Marco. So obviously, some people like him. He's big box office. He's very. He's got a big ethnic following. But they call him the King of Albania. But I think he rubs a lot of boxing people that I know, just the rank and file, up the wrong way. You find him a bit obnoxious, or maybe a bit of a gate crasher coming from a different, you know, combat sports background, um, which we sometimes have that kind of snobbishness in boxing that he's not. You know, he's only been boxing for three years, etc. And um, I've from the early days of Marcus Rise, I heard a few ugly stories about his supporters and their behaviour and conduct in certain venues like the York Hall, Bethnal Green. So I probably formed a minor kind of. I've got nothing against him, to be honest with you. And, and actually, a good friend of mine called Shane Watson is involved very much in his managerial team. But I was up for somebody beating Marco. Let's put it that way. And I think a lot of people were. A lot of people I talked to day in day out about boxing. They were like, you know, oh, I fancy Jenkins for the upset. And they were talking him up. We spoke about it as well, Simon. And it, the odds yeah. look pretty generous. The odds look pretty generous on Jenkins for, for, did, from yeah. any of his from any of his you know stamp and experience. So I was really um, you know I, after the first two rounds, I could see him boxing Marco's head off and you know really bursting a bubble and all of that kind of thing. And then I actually posted on Facebook, "Come on, Jenkins!" You know, and then suddenly, literally, no sooner had I pressed send than he gets nailed with that right hand, which turned his legs to spaghetti. First watch. To be honest with you, streaming on the phone on this occasion with the kids over at night and my autistic 14-year-old running about, I thought the stoppage looked a tad premature. I saw one replay and I didn't think that at all. I think it was yeah, a good stoppage. Same, he was all at sea. He was he, he was in he was in trouble. It was a fair stoppage. And uh, my friend Shane Watson, who is all part of Team Marco, and he's obviously all gung ho about that fact. Yes, Shane, yeah. Uh, he um he saw my status this morning saying, "Come on, Jenkins," and he said, <laughs> "Oh yeah." He said, "I thought we were friends, mate." You know, but mm. only joking. But, um, you know, but obviously I put a curse on Chris Jenkins by actually, you know, giving him that kind of excitation anyway. Um, but you know what? It is what it is. I think Marku proved the point that he can he can punch. And that yes, he did. It was only two rounds in which Jenkins looked good when all said and done, there was a long way to go. And it, you know, he's a strong guy, isn't he? And he, he says he's marketable. He's, I think he looks, he trains hard, looks very dedicated. I still think somebody, some half decent, you know, well to beat I think Conor Ben would beat him. I think Chris Congo, who wants to fight him, although it looks like Marco's not interested at this stage, um, would have a good chance of beating him, perhaps. Um, Amir Khan, he mentioned a shot Amir Khan, didn't he? You know, for one reason, he knows there's still big money in the Amir Khan fight for his end, you know. Um, but, you know, what can you say? I think with Chris Jenkins, I saw a, a tweet from him today saying, it's not over, I just got a bit greedy. That's a, Danny probably understands his term as well, greedy. When we say he got a bit greedy, we mean... You pushed your advantage a little too much. Classic example: Billy Conn versus Joe Lewis in the in the first fight back in the back in the forties, back in nineteen forty-two, when uh, he had the fight won and he decided to go for broke in the thirteenth round when he didn't particularly need to. Um, no, okay. and, and Jenkins feels he got a bit greedy because he was finding it. He was getting very confident in those first two rounds. Yeah. He won the first two rounds. He says he's not going to retire. I suspect his high watermark has probably been achieved, unfortunately. But I don't want to put limits on him, you know. It was um, is an interesting one because there was a little bit of um, there was a bit of needle there, and I think uh, Chris Chris's camp might have felt a little bit. Uh, there was a few disrespectful posts on social media and stuff like that, and maybe I don't know whether when he got when he started well, whether he kind of because of the needle that was there, he almost <coughs> yeah. kind of like chased it a little bit because he wanted that finish and the knockout to make a point i don't you know i don't i haven't spoken to chris today so i don't, I don't know if that is the case um 
I was the same as you when um when it was stopped. I was like, oh, that's way too early. You know, he's he can take a hit. He'll be, and yeah. then saw it again. And it, I think you know it was it was a good, pretty good stoppage. And at the end of the day, um, when fighters' legs go like that from shots to the temple and and things like that, you could just it is what it is. At the end of the day, I think it's you got to look after the fighters' long term health just as much as their short term health. Um, and yeah. his legs, his legs, you know, were, were had gone spaghetti. Um, in terms of uh, Marku, uh, he showed he could finish people. Like, you know, Chris. Not many people have finished Chris Jenkins. No, um, I think that's a so that's a certainly a feather in his cap. Um, the Amir Khan when when he called sort of called him out a little bit, it did make me chuckle because I was like, I've got even less interest in that than I had in Khan versus Kell Brook. Yeah, but I could see the the logic of Florian Marco, the, the where he is in his career. Amir Khan's almost like the perfect opponent for him because it's a big name uh, yeah. for, you know, to beat someone of that of that ilk, um, and he's had such a successful career, albeit you know it seems like a, a while ago now. But it's still a, you know he's got a. So Amir Khan is still, a, you know, an Olympian. He's had all these titles, and there's still some kudos there. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather see Khan retire personally. Yes. But... Oh, well, we discussed it. It went after the Cal Brook fight, wasn't it? We all sort of said, "I'd like to see Brook retire as well." You know, I said I'd like to see Brook yeah. retire. Never mind Khan, but certainly Khan. But, but who knows? You know what it is. It's. I don't know if I've said this before to you, gentlemen, but Baron McGuigan came up with a very good uh, maxim one time. He said, "They say the fighter is the last one to know." When it's not there anymore, he said, "Nonsense." He said, "You're the first one to know. You're just mm-hmm. the last one to accept it." And that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, said, yeah. "Of course you know." He said, "How can you not know? You're inspiring. Getting hit with shots that didn't used to touch you. You know, getting worked over by guys. You know, practically palookas compared to your former former kind of uh, level." He said, "How could you possibly not know that?" He said, "You just what you choose to do is deny it." Interesting. Has there been any further news on Kell Brook uh, potentially fighting again? Not a lot, you know. It's been quite quiet, really. I mean, he, I know he spoke about. They were talking about Chris Eubank Jr. has been talking back and forth, saying, "What did I mean? What did Brooks say?" I think Brooks said, "If you, unless you can make 154 pounds, forget it." I think he said that, right? I think he said it's yeah. got to be like middleweight. And Eubank Jr. was, I think, was trying to say he could do 157, maybe, you know. Um, but to me, that's all blind alley stuff. In terms of what I'd be interested in seeing, I think it'd be great to see Kyle Brook leave on a high. I mean, I don't know what his financial circumstances are, and obviously that's going to make a big difference to probably to the decision he might make. But no, you know, I mean, because Con- Conor Bennett's been quite quiet. I mean, Conor Bennett's fighting Chris Van Heerden, the South African fighter, isn't he? Uh, next time out, I forget the date, but that's imminent, coming up soon in, in the schedule. Um, and then I guess they would look at that afterwards. Uh, but Brook has been quite quiet, to be honest with you, in the last several weeks. Um, obviously, Savannah, Mar- uh, Savannah Marshall, sorry, uh, fought for the WBO uh, middle or she's middleweight champion, isn't she? Yeah. Um, she won, and Clarissa Shields was there again. Yeah. Always got lots to say. Um, what uh, What did you think of Savannah Marshall's performance, and all obviously the potential bout with uh, Clarissa Shields? I, I think Marshall evidently is that rarity of a female fighter who can turn the lights out with one shot. You know, mm-hmm. um, she she has that one punch knockout power, which is mo- not mostly absent in the, in the women's game at top level. If you look at a lot of female fights, um, 
amongst the girls at the highest level and for their for their world title versions, they tend to go the distance. And a lot of the time they tend to throw... A friend of mine made the point, he said, you don't often see a female fighter who's noted for a murderous left hook or for a devastating right hand or a great body puncher. They just throw hands and get involved. They're usually gamers, you know, gamers, gamers bagels. And... Um, Take it can really, to take a shot a lot of these ladies at that level that I've seen, you know, but uh, they don't tend to be devastating punches. That does seem to be a, a trend in, in the women's game up to now. But Marshall can, can hit you with one shot and take you out if you're not on the, if, you, if, if you, you know, expose yourself to her power. I think the problem with assessing her, to be honest with you, like whenever you see a woman who looks special, um, in the context of professional boxing, they're usually plagued by the fact that there are not a lot of they don't have the dance partners sufficiently. You know, the, and the depth of talent in their division or, or in the women's game generally, either side of their division, perhaps, in order to really allow them to excel and to, and to shine in great fights. You get, you know, your Katie Taylors. Um, I know she's fighting Amanda Serrano soon. You get like a Clarissa Shields, for instance. Um, and uh, in, in the past, you had a girl like Lucia Reich or even Christy Martin. And they, they tended to be short of great defining opponents. What we're seeing now, which is an interesting situation, is... I've never seen so many boxing fans, who are mostly men, let's face it, um, salivating over a female fight as much as this. To me, I mean, I know that Katie Taylor versus Serrano is a big, big fight and it's making history because it's the first female fight to headline at Madison Square Garden. But I hear more people buzzing, certainly in this country, about the possibility of Shields versus Marshall, especially after the last couple of times when Shields boxed over here and they had the, the handbags at ringside and they built on that last night after Savannah Marshall's win. And uh, I think a lot to to me, it's not. It's almost got to the point of equality when it's not female boxing anymore per se. Because there's a difference, you know, between saying I'm fine with women boxing, you know, and I think they should have every right to do it. And I think it's absolutely there's a difference between that and saying I really want to see these two women fight, and I've forgotten that they're women. All right, I've forgotten about you know specific genitalia or anything. I just want to see this fight. Yep, um, and that's what I think we've got with Shields and uh, Marshall. Most people are both sides of the Atlantic, you know. Most people are talking up Marshall, saying that she's too good and hits too hard for Shields. I think a lot of people don't like Shields because she is bombastic, she's trash, and she's ghetto. I, I like her, by the way. I met her. I know you. I was going to say you um, posted a photo earlier. Of, uh, yeah. You were yeah. there. So you're, you're on the on Team Shields. She was cool. I mean, I, I liked her. I, yes. I, mean, I felt like I got her. She is a bit, she's sassy, you know. She's a sassy, black, you know, American woman. But she's yeah. cool. She's kind of sweet. So uh, I'm, I'm nothing against Savannah Marshall, who seems very sweet too. And, you know, she can definitely punch. She's a good fighter. I like Peter Fury, a trainer as well. But I'll be rooting for, for Shields in that one. And I think, but most people are talking at Marshall, saying that she's too good. She hits too hard. And some people are saying, I can't wait to see Shields get knocked down because of the way she caught that kind of, if you do that bombastic thing, you're, there's never going to be a world shortage where people want to see you get get put in your arse, you know. So, but no, I do think it's, I th I think the thing is, some people are making it out to be the puncher versus the boxer, whereas other people are pointing out that Marshall can box too, but the difference is only one of them can punch, and that's Savannah. I don't know. I think I think Caress has got a hands full in that fight. I know you probably know their boxers amateurs and Marshall Beto in, in for okay. whatever that's worth yeah. in, in the amateur code, you know, over three rounds. That sometimes those results got very little bearing when, when fighters meet the pros. I could give you a whole bunch of examples of guys who beat people in the amateurs and got battered by by them when they met as pros, including Henry Tillman and Mike Tyson a couple of times. But now um do you know what? I think that the, it'd be interesting to see who the betting favourite is there because I'm going to go with Shields to to surprise a few people and, and, and outbox Marshall. I don't think she's a stopper. It will be interesting to see what happens if Marshall lands and see how, how, how Clarissa takes her power because 
I'm not trying to compare them to such, you know, to such all-time greats. So if you look at uh, Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard, for instance, right? When they fought, Hearns was the devastating hitman from the Motor City who knocked out all but two of his opponents in, in a run-up to, to that fight. Mm. And um, he was the puncher, right? And Leonard was the boxer. That's what everybody said. But boxing is not that simple all of the time. It can be more complex than that. And Reg Guttridge nailed it. After a few rounds, when they were starting to settle down and get to know each other, Reg Guttridge made the very salient point that it's clear now that Leonard absorbs the better punch. And that's what it came down to. Not who could hit harder, who was the better puncher. It came down to who could absorb the better punch, who could take the other guy's shots better. A bit like Nassim Hammond when he fought Kevin Kelly in that wild shootout in 97. And he said, I took his shots. Could he take mine? You know, and that's what it comes down to. Nas did take the shots and got off the deck. So I want to see what happens when Marshall, even when Marshall lands on Clarissa and, 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 um, and, and to see how she holds up to that power, because it does look to be another level of power compared to what you generally see in a women's game, you know. When do you think this fight with Hat is likely to happen? Uh, they're right? talking they're talking it up, Simon, like it's next time out for both of them. They're both very focused on that. Clarissa seems very focused on it. Marshall said it's the only fight that matters to her. It's the only one she wants next. She said it in the ring last night. So unless there's any kind of curveballs thrown in after that fact, everybody, you know, both parties seem very focused on putting that together. Clarissa says she's got no problem with coming to the UK. She doesn't want to go to Newcastle, if she can, if, if, if you don't mind terribly, she said to, to the other people. Um, She'd like to fight in London, for instance. You know, she wants to fight somewhere neutral in the UK. She doesn't want to go yeah. to the North East to fight that girl. Fair, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Uh, ben, can I just ask? Uh, this might be a question you choose not to uh, answer. And, um, mm. you know, I'll give you the respect to say no to it because it, it can be a really touchy subject. But, um, you know, one thing that um, I've been watching a lot of that's come about in the news that I watch is uh, transgender yeah. Men converting to women and now competing in sports. This happened with Leah Thomas in swimming. There's an Australian yeah. uh, transgender cyclist that's come on. You know, they they were competing in their prospective sports as men, and very very average Joe. Then they're crossing <laughs> over, taking the testosterone uh, reduction requirements to qualify to compete in their sport. You know, how would you feel about you know the fact that female boxing is becoming bigger and uh, you know, boxing is becoming bigger in the female sector? Therefore, there's going to be more money to be had. And sometimes I can't help but feel that sometimes you know this is an opportunity, perhaps, for the transgender to move in and have the. I feel they have an advantage. I don't know whether that's something you agree on, want to comment on, but would you be willing to speak up if your opinion is against that, or do you think it's a fair playing field if they follow no, the requirements needed? I mean, I tend to feel, I mean, I don't have strong views on, um, I've, I'm a bit perplexed by the transgender thing, to be honest with you, generally, not not just in sports. I completely understand and I've always been fine with gay people, you know, gay males, lesbian females, people who, who are bisexual and, and, and choose not to, you know, um, to define their leanings one way or the other in terms of how they're getting the rocks off, whatever. Always, you know, I mean, I've coming from a music sort of background in my twenties. I've I was always surrounded by that kind of more kind of bohemian element, and, and that, which always brings its gay friendly theatrical element. So I've always was was never homophobic, nothing like that. To, to actually think that you're born the wrong gender and you're correcting some tragic omission by nature, you know, that, that God got it wrong and you're a surgeon has helped you put it right. That does seem odd, you know. The most the most, one of the stranger examples which we saw in boxing was, you know, Kelly Maloney, who used to be Frank Maloney, um, Lennox yeah. Lewis's manager and promoter back in the day. Yeah. Um, 
that really was odd because I did know Frank to my, uh, very much as a, as a figure, but on a personal level, I had a couple of dealings with him uh, when he was when he was a man. Um, but with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In terms of competing, and even with the with the thing we recently the controversy in swimming that we saw recently, and there was there was a Mexican fighter, female fighter that has been accused of being a man. Ellie Scottney fought somebody recently that some people were trying to claim and they've used certain previous photographs on Instagram was previously a male. And no, I, th- I think that needs to be left well alone. You know, I mean, regardless of, of what, of how you identify yourself and what you choose to be and what surgical procedures you choose to undergo. I think if your birth certificate started out in one column, then that's where you've got to stay as far as something like professional boxing is concerned. Cause obviously there is, there is, a, I mean, <laughs> Not, you're going to find women who are extraordinarily strong, who are stronger than certain men. You're always going to find that. And they're tougher than certain men and all the rest of it. But I think um, if, if you started out life as a male, then you should only be allowed to box with males. And I, I, don't, think, I don't see why that should be controversial. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think it's, it's not even about the surgery, is it? I think they can still compete even pre-surgery. It's about their hormone level and... I think, yeah. you know, that, that's why I'm sort of like understanding. It's, it's different for different sports, I believe, like the, the rules are I, set by the certain bodies within each sport. Yeah, um, I think in America now, really the testos- testosterone levels. Defines it. Think, yeah. Yeah. But, and isn't it in America now, you don't have to put whether you're male or female, but you put how you identify now. You don't even have to put, is, or you don't, you're, yeah. it's I just mean, nuts. I thought so recently when someone said, there was a, a meme about um, motorcyclist who identifies as a cyclist wins Tour de France or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is kind of what it amounts to, isn't it? You know, sometimes. I mean, I got to say, for me, when it comes to combat sports spe- specifically, uh, whether it's boxing or MMA, just as I've got no desire to see a male fight a female, um, I've not really got a desire to see transitions from male to female to, because for me look they, i don't care what people want to do i'm not interested in what other people are doing particularly but just it's the same kind of reasoning where i wouldn't want to sit and watch a bloke beat the crap out of a woman in a cage or in a ring it's just i don't like it i don't think it's needed and look but then i am also all about inclusivity so like create uh transgender divisions and have other transgender fighters fight each other crack on great let's be as inclusive as as we can be and have you know professional fighters of male female and transgender i'm okay with that but i just think when it comes to combat sports and yeah that's the that's the thing isn't it so well, that's why injury. that's why I put the question out. You know, while oh, we're talking nice. about boxing, because you're you're seeing this in cycling, which is okay, harmless on a physical level. Obviously, it's disheartening for the females that are now having to fight it out over second and third uh, instead of the gold. Um, 
but with the combat sports uh, or any combat sports, I include rugby and such as such, so that you know, there's, yeah. there's just I mean, there's got Huge to be kind of structure there for safety. Yeah, um, this is why you have male and female sports. But I'm hearing people, you know, back up the decisions for transgenders to be included. But it, it's going to lead, lead to injury. Surely, surely it's well, going to lead to injuries. I, I have seen injury, that argument lead to death, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. just as an well, example. Um, Fallon Fox, who fought in yeah. MMA, not in the UFC, but fought in MMA, who was formerly a, a very average male MMA fighter um, and then fought as a female. Um, she fractured, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it was her last fight. She, actually, she lost her last fight, but the fight before that, I believe it was, she fractured the skull of yeah. her opponent. Um, and it was quite, you know, quite a brutal fight, quite a brutal yeah. victory. Now, I, I don't think it's controversial to say that that's not all right. I, yeah. Like, I understand all fighters take risks. I, I do understand that. Do you take a risk when you fight anyone? But there's, you've got to have things in place to protect, to protect yeah. people. And, you, and yeah. what do we say, Danny, all the time when we speak to coaches and speak to you, um, is sometimes you've got to protect fighters from themselves. There's a lot yeah. of fighters who will take that fight yeah. With say, let's if you, if you use Fallon Fox as an example, but but with any person in the same situation, there's a lot of fighters who would take that fight because yeah. of all the reasons fighters you know don't back down yeah. from fights. But sometimes you have to protect people from themselves, and I just yeah. think, um, look, it's got to be done in a in a way where you're not, um, you know, you're not being horrible to people and you're not calling them names and. All this sort of yeah. stuff you see a lot on social media. I'm not about that at all, but I'm also, like I said, I don't want to see. Just I think like that's what, I, I think the challenge for for right thinking people, if you'll forgive that term, is not to be barracked by for fear of being seen as transphobic. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. you, you, people you can be boxed into a corner by the woke brigade because you because you don't want to seem like a Neanderthal man. So you so instead you end up bending too far in an effort to accommodate someone, which is actually immoral in itself and illogical and everything else. Well, this is what yeah, I that's... think is happening in parts of America with the swimming in particular. Yeah. You had a, lot of, a lot of the people who make those rules, they were afraid to say no. So they kept changing you know, the, the regulations and whatever to accommodate whoever. Yeah. And because they're too afraid that if they say anything... You know, so like if we were on a bigger platform now, we'd be barraged with being told that we were transphobic and this and yeah. that. Yeah, if anybody cared what we thought about anything, this would probably draw quite yeah, a Yeah, that's it. Next. But, but, nothing, <laughs> but nothing could be further from the truth because I don't care enough that to like what other people do to be transphobic. But also, mm. like my whole thing of it is when is a health and safety thing. And then with women's sport overall, I think the potential damage that it can do with records being broken in, you know, you're already seeing it in America with like college athletics and things like that. You're yeah. having transgender um, females who were, who've gone through puberty as males breaking the records by, you know, distances that will never be caught. So even if they change those, uh, the regulations, or whatever you want to say, the rulings of testosterone. They still affected history, yeah. yeah. Because those, they'll never, or there's 
no, I wouldn't say never, but there's it's unlikely that a, a biological female, if you like, will never reach that, be, yeah, be able to break those records. And I think if you give it 10 years of accommodating this sort of thing into female sport, like female sports as a whole could be completely decimated and it can never be turned back because those records... Yeah, which, is, which could actually be the most unequalitarian thing, you know, training Because yeah. Absolutely. It's women, true women. Yeah, fem women. female sports have really struggled over the last number of decades uh, and really until now to try to get on any kind of potential yeah. equal footing yeah. uh, as men. And, and that just as we're getting to that cusp, it could be literally taken oh, away by, by this sort of allowance. And I think it's yeah. um, criminal. I really do. But how, yeah, you're right also, Ben, you know, just to touch on further on what you're saying, that you know, just to speak up as we are with our opinions on things and, and with reasons of our opinions, we're not just forcing an opinion just because we've got our reasonings for it, but you could be targeted and attacked for it in quite, a, quite an aggressive way. Um, and it makes you shine away. That's why I just give you the grace that if you didn't want to answer it, I totally understand because you're, you know, very much in the public eye. I see through your Facebook, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people make comments to anything that you put up on on Facebook. Um, and, and I know we're a little tighter on time, aren't we, Sire? But just another question I want to put to you is, you're, you're really in a situation, particularly like what from what I see from your Facebook, which is the main thing that I have to do with the media, you know. Do you cause offence much? Because you're normally, you know, with good reason, always with good reason, making your comments on any particular boxer on their career. Uh, do, you, do you get people attack you a little bit in some of your yeah, comments? And if, if so, how do you find, do you deal with that? Absolutely, I do. I mean, I've uh, over the years, I've found that it's difficult, it's impossible to have any kind of journalistic integrity and any kind of voice in something as controversial as boxing without upsetting people and offending a few fragile egos in, in that industry. You get it when you're friendly with, you know, you know somebody who's who's friendly with a fighter. They might they might be a trainer. Sometimes you don't even know. Honest to God, you don't even, you don't know who everybody's trainer is. And you'll say something about this this Welsh lad looks a bit useless, and they'd be like, actually, well, he, he's actually my fighter, or he comes to our gym and he's a lovely lad. And do you realise that? Except, so that that's happened quite a lot over the years. To be honest with you, uh, I famously, well, famously ish, I, there was a Scottish fighter once called Craig um, McEwen. I think his name was. Um, I think that was his name, right? I mean, it's, it's funny how I've gone slightly blank on that, which I'm not mm -hmm. doing that deliberately to try and rub it in that he's not special. He's a good fighter, right? As a super featherweight, he was Commonwealth champion. Then he fell into retirement. Then as a, as he was retired, he started doing a bit of unlicensed boxing. Somebody I know who's an interesting soul, creative soul, but a bit of a flake, uh, a fellow called Rio. Uh, it's a long story. I'm not going to go into it all. But he invented the Canning... In Canning Town, where we used to be based at the gym there, TKO Gym, Johnny Eames was the kind of the governor of that place. He invented a commission called the Maltese Boxing Commission in, um, in, in the heart of, you know, East London in Canning Town, pr primarily because his girlfriend couldn't get a licence to box with the British Boxing Board of Control. So he invented his own commission. He looked for somewhere that didn't have one and he came up with Malta. So... They started promoting stuff, and at one point they they started doing business with a German organisation as well, and they got hold of the WBU title, which was never very credible as a world title to begin with. Although Ricky Hatton used to hold it in his pre-genuine world title days, you know, and he used to pack yeah. out the ME and Arena defending it. So anyway, long story short, several years in the in the whole process of the, of this kind of Maltese boxing commission and, and the relationship with the German commission, they might have sanctioned the show. They put a shot a fight on it up in a leisure centre in Paisley. Um, for um, 
it was supposedly for the WBU like middleweight championship of the world featuring this Craig guy. You know what? I don't think it is McEwen. I think I've gone blank on what it's saying. Mm. It was Muck something. Um, <laughs> sorry, Craig Doherty. Sorry, not McEwen. His name is Craig Doherty, right? And he was a good fighter when he was a, you know, a genuine, accredited, legitimate pro, a, a super featherweight. Then he, years later in his dotage, you know, when he's still a bit handy, he's fighting for the world like middleweight championship in a Paisley Leisure Centre against a guy who'd lost um, uh, less six fights in a row. Now, I just thought it was ridiculous. Now, the thing is, it, it was 2015, I believe. I was still drinking at the time. I was more of a boss and outspoken then. And so I just said, oh, yes, I'd like to congratulate, you know, Craig Doherty on winning the light middleweight championship of the world. Floyd Mayweather, eat your heart out or something like that. And then he, he got the hump because people, you know, you get, you get your screenshot glasses. People, get, getting all these yeah, people tag people, don't they? They he, tag people. <laughs> and at the time, I wasn't very mature about it. I said, look, tell, tell the prick, I'll fight him in a legend centre if he wants or whatever. And then people said, oh, <laughs> and it went back and forth and back and forth. And uh, But the thing is, so that, that happens and that's happened a lot. And to be honest, I've got, I get, Aggro from Scottish people to this day over that, and he still hates me to this day. But I apologise for it. I've had, so I've had a few things like that. To be honest with you, yeah, the, the, the few things have gone on. The, the, the funniest thing over that was somebody said, "I think you're being elitist," and I was like, "Listen, if you can't figure out that the concept of world championship boxing is elitist by definition, then I then you must struggle to tie your shoelaces each brand new morning." You know. Uh... But so yeah, but it, to be honest with you, yeah, sure, long way of entering, but it happens quite a lot, and I have to deal with it. I've, yeah. I've got as a the longer I've been sober, the better able I've been at being diplomatic. But I never want to be so diplomatic that I lose the the passion and the cutting edge. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, you have got to give honest answers, haven't you, and honest opinions. Otherwise, yeah. people see through that really quick. Like I think so. Mm-hmm. I think you... so because you can see these second journalists on TV talk about the equality thing. We've got loads of pretty women on TV now, all holding microphones and saying so. You know. That, uh, the left hook then, uh, you know, uh, did you feel it was a, it, it, it generally best thrown with the left hand or whatever? You know, so that, that part of that is part of that is market forces and female glamour is always sold. But maybe a part of that is also equality. And, you know, mm. it is. I mean, it's happened. It's happened in football a lot. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more female. But in fairness, I would say now. Um, it started off a bit rocky, but I would say probably 90% of the, the female presenters and people who you see on Sky, BBC, ITV who are doing football are very, very good. And there's no reason it's taking why a bit it of time be. to get there. Yeah. I think so, you know. And, um, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of useless male presenters on. on oh, there's <laughs> many, many more. But, but yeah. you know, yeah. Um, I just think, in any case, I I, I don't want to lose that that passion, like you say, because I think you can see through it if somebody really cares or not. You know, when they're um, when they approach this thing, and for me, my biggest uh, peeve has always been the the, the the disingenuous nature of world titles, the way they multiply like confetti mm-hmm. in, in the era, and you get you get. Um, domestic level fighters and there's a lot of pride in being a domestic level fighter just as there was a lot of honour and pride in the old days in the real world of being a contender you know that whole I could have been a contender that doesn't exist anymore you don't hear that word much anymore because there's no contenders because they're all champions all of them are champions yeah. of some sort. and people think it's totally legitimate they say my boy's boxing for the interim world championship what do you mean interim the real world champ's not even injured he fought last night so what's the interim of what I get the interim concept just about if he's sidelined or something like that, you know. But um, we've lost the plot in boxing as far as that goes. And that, you know, the day that I don't get annoyed about that and a bit animated is the day that I've, you know, 
who knows? I'll be dead. For me, I think interim titles, there should be like a set. Like if the champion is out for, say, 12 months yeah. with an injury, then you create an interim title. If he can fight within 12 months, then yeah. don't bother. Just make well, the maybe, person... Make maybe call fight. it a, co- a contender what? title. Maybe. Yeah, so just well, make, it a, number, make it a number one contender fight. They Whoever need to, fight, they need the to find a better way of marketing fights without saying it's got to be for a championship. They need yeah. to find a way of marketing these stories and these personalities and these and these the things the some of their parts in the ring and what they bring to the table. They need to start marketing fights instead of fighters. Because, yeah. Sorry, Ben. I was going to ask you, what do you think is surely um, a number one contender about is fine in terms of if I'd rather that than a. Uh, yeah, like a final like eliminator interim title. Yeah, they used to call it a final eliminator, which is what it is. But what it what what the reason they do it, as well as the obsession with that kind of hardware and championship status now, like Dylan White was the interim WBC heavyweight champion. I believe he still is. I'm, I'm guessing he has been for a while. Um, I think he won it against Oscar Rivas. But then once again, it's uh, it's hard to keep track because I don't really care enough about this mm-hmm. side of it because I'm against the whole concept of it. It's difficult to make a, a statistical geek on it, but. Dylan White, after he won that, he posted on his Instagram, WBC heavyweight champion, who's next? Which is just lies. It's just mm. completely misleading and disingenuous. And I've got, I've already had you asking me, Danny, I've had previous with Dylan White as well, because I did a live interview on Facebook with him. It went down badly. We got very bad temper with each other. And his trainer, Mark Tibbs, who is a friend of mine who I think the world of, and I'm cold with now, he banned me from the gym for about three days because I'd upset <laughs> Dylan. You know, and he's like, stay away, you You've been digging Dylan out, you know, but because this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with these egos and their belief systems. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, the interim title was the reason why they call it that. They said the winner of this, this is the final eliminator and the winner of this will be our, our interim champion. Is because you can charge sanctioning fees for that. You couldn't charge people a fee for becoming your number one contender. But if you give them a belt and a title, you can charge them a sanctioning fee. And then that's how you generate more revenue. And that's all the sentient bodies are interested in doing. And, you know, I suppose if I could find ways to monetize by plucking things out the air based on, you know, the things I do, then I prob- I suppose I would do it, wouldn't I? But I do think we, we need to... Ex- professional boxing is a business, but there has to be a way of respecting the integrity of that business or restoring the integrity to that business in, in, a, more, in a more agreeable way than we see today where it's anything goes. And, you know, everybody's a world champion. And nobody even struggles with the notion anymore. I know we've gone on a long time, but very in closing, when when Ernie Terrell was declared the WBA heavyweight champion because they didn't like Cassius Clay and Matt Strunk Muhammad Ali in that same period because he made unpatriotic remarks and he was a renegade member of the Nation of Islam, they they stripped him of the title for nothing essentially, other than personal feelings and politics. They installed they, they had Ernie Terrell and Eddie Machin fight for that title and they called the winner the WBA champion. Now, nobody took it seriously then. Everybody laughed. Literally, everybody laughed. Like they would in football. Like if, if you tried to say that, you know, Chelsea are the World Cup winners, it's not whoever won the World Cup tournament last time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, in boxing, everybody's become desensitised to it and it's been beaten down. And there's no there's no kind of public common sense and, and, and resistance to that anymore. So you can sell anything you like as a world title fight today. Shocking. It is... Uh, <laughs> it's... And it's never ending. It's the it's the yeah. same in uh, MMA as well. Um, right, Ben. Very quickly, in one word, uh, next weekend we have uh, <coughs> butcher these names now. Uh, Gennady Gnofkin 
yeah. versus uh, Ryota Maruta, Maruta, sorry, uh, for the IBF, the IBO, the WBA middleweight, middleweight titles. Yeah. Who will win? I'll go with Golovkin. Um, he's getting long in the tooth, but he's he's unless he gets old overnight, he, he still should be formidable enough to beat the Japanese guy. Admittedly, I've not seen a lot of the Japanese guy, but my feeling is for Golovkin, you you could never be too surprised at an upset at this stage of his career, though. No. Uh, and then the following week, we've got Conor Ben versus uh, Chris Van Heerden. Um and Errol Spence fights as well that weekend. So there's a few fights coming up. So I'm sure we'll uh, sure we'll see you soon. Yeah. Uh, but Ben, as ever, it's been a, an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you very much for joining us. Cheers, boys. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Cheers. Thank you. And now Danny is going to give us a quick, very, very quick overview of, and you're going to have to alter your camera, um, overview oh. of uh, the Cage Warriors uh, shows and, Anything which stood yeah, out, well, anyone I, who stood out? Yeah, I was just d- disappointed for Jack Eglin, really. Yeah. Um, that was a bit, not a shocker yeah, because, more, you know, they're all young, they tenacious. They very, very highly rated fighters. Um, yeah, but I feel, feel bad for him. Look, Ian Dean rarely, 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 rarely gets it wrong. So I'm very yeah. begrudged to c- criticise him or Graham Boylan. I didn't understand pitting those two against each other. Yeah. Because they're both really highly rated, both unbeaten. And I was just yeah. like, well, we could have seen this in two years' time. But yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I, mean, I haven't I, seen I them s- because they're so good. A lot of these so, fights, you know. I, I just saw like the clips of the end. Yeah, yeah, um, that's okay. you know, just tell me. But also, Gerardo Fanny, you know, that was a great performance when, you know, getting the. Um, Adam and Adam Cullum, Adam Cullum getting uh, uh, TKO. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, Adam Cullum getting the TKO. I mean, that was pretty impressive. Um, you know, it looks like someone I would like to keep my eye on. Um, oh, what other ones? Uh, I thought um, Liam Gittins on. Um, oh yeah, Thursday. that was a good thought, win. I thought he was yeah. really good, and I thought he showed a different um, string string to his bow, as it were. Obviously, we've yeah, seen yeah. him go, you know, balls to the wall and, and kind of, you know, really go all out attack. But I actually, you know, he went the distance and, and, and uh, yeah, I was impressed. Yeah, yeah someone who seems to have, you know, fallen from, you know, greater heights, really, and struggling is Dean Truman. He seems to be really struggling uh, with his career at the minute. Um, I don't know how to say the guy's name, Gi- Giuseppe. Uh, Giuseppe uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, Rodriguez. yeah, you know, someone else gets coming onto the scene. But, yeah, Dean Truman just don't seem to fall more of himself. I don't know whether it's because the level has just moved on up or, or, or what the case is. Um, whether he's lost a bit of passion there, I don't know. But you know, he, he was such a big name and now I feel like he's struggling a little bit. So I, I don't know what that really is down to. I don't know, can't put my finger on it. Um, I'd have to watch that fight in its entirety to, to make better and further judgment on him. But you know, that's kind of disappointing for him. It would have been nice to see him get back on to to, to better trajectory for himself. Um, but yeah, you said about Gittins. Uh, one, one, we had that. That there was another one uh, who impressed me on the first night. Who was that? Um, uh, Matthew uh, Bonner but, was pretty good. Yeah, he yeah. Pereira and Nicole Main with a, a you, rear naked choke. But the, you, was, okay. uh, <clears throat> the one who won with front naked choke, I forgot his name. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, did you see that? Uh, yeah. uh, Bernison, did you yeah, watch that fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Was, <laughs> 
I thought, wow. Yeah. I mean, that was a great fight. That was really backwards and forth from yeah, each of them. Good, really uh, they both fight, really man. had their moments. Yeah, if you want one which gets you on the edge, particularly if you're fans of, of both of them, it would have had you on the edge of your seat. Edge of your seat. And both of them had the opportunities to win before the win was finally you know, uh, secured with that front front naked choke. Um, I think we call it a ninja choke. I think I've heard the term. There are numerous terms for um, yeah, I saw a, a submission and position. Different types of choke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, it was very nice. A little bit of exhaustion coming to play, I think. I think maybe it might have been the fact that, uh, I don't know how to say his name, uh, Sabrinsky, Parisky, mm. or, but Daniel um, may have burnt himself out trying to finish uh, Burlington in the first yeah. round and maybe hadn't quite recovered from that because he's quite thick set in the body. And I think maybe it took a little something out of himself. And when he was being the re- receiver of the pressure, it's like his, his cardio was just going out the window and um, yeah, started leaving his neck hanging and he got caught out, but really good fight to watch. Um, I, I enjoyed that one. That was one that I did manage to watch the whole fight of. Uh, I think that pretty much sums up so, all the standout parts. Um, on the yeah the second night, um, Manny Akpan obviously had that incredible knockout. Oh, there was also wow, another knockout. I think it was the next fight, um, or it might have been the one. No, it was the one before. Oh, where's it? It's the he's got um, Alex, Alexi uh, Mantkevi uh, knocked out uh, Jan Anderson Castro. I'll tell you what, mate, Alexi Mantkevi Mantkevi is one to watch. He looks right. special, really yeah. special. Um, I thought Luke Riley looked really impressive against Jack Eglin, but I thought both of them looked pretty good. Is uh, funny. Yeah, yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Um, then you also had Gerardo Fanny versus Aaron Abbey. Mate, um, look, we all know Aaron's story um, and, you know, they've used that to rightly publicize, like promote his fights and tell his story. Yeah, um, yeah. We had him on the show and we talked, you know, talked about his story. It's inspiring. It is inspiring to, to come through the adversity that he's come through. But what he did last night was he said, never mind my story, I'm a world-class fighter. Because that yeah. performance was superb. Um, yeah. So good. And I was really, really, you know, really chuffed for him because I think sometimes it almost gets the, his, the, the adversity in his story, it almost goes when people are talking about him as a fighter, they almost talk about his story more than his skills. Yeah, actually, yeah. He's an incredibly skilled fighter. And I thought yeah. he shot that last night and I was really pleased. Yeah. I think that he's uh, got his story out there. No, I mug, think, mate, is he? no, absolutely not. I feel like he's got his story out there and he's had his sympathies from it. But I think he don't want to be identified as just this story. I think he wants to now draw a line there and be recognised for what he's doing. And what he's doing very, very well, which is winning. And uh, yeah, I think perhaps he, we should give him the props up and perhaps focus more on what he's doing now and what he's looking to potentially be doing for the future. Um, the, the kid's moving on the way up and I'm so happy for him. 100%. Mate. And do you know what else, mate, is um, I think that he's going to get a title shot in his next fight. Um, I wouldn't be I surprised. Really uh, I would not be surprised. Kind of like the, 
for next because he's on a I think three fight win streak now. So yeah. But there's so many fighters as well that are on that the prelims. That, you know, I, I, yeah, I've never uh, some of them I've never, never heard of, but Mantic there's a couple TV. of out, outstanding. Remember the name, Mantic Yeah, TV. yeah. But like Manny Pacquiao has been on a tear, knocking people out. Still on the yeah, prelims. but the, um, if yeah, if you have a look on the prelims, there was loads of finishes. Yes, loads of finishes. Uh, you got some um, some real talents. I think on those prelims, you're more likely to get. No, I don't want to say mismatches. But you're more likely to get differential in in the levels, and mm. so you will perhaps get these standout performances happening more so there. But sometimes I think they make better viewing for just general fans because everyone likes to see a submission, everyone likes to see a knockout and a back and forth battle. They're still at that proving ground stage. Um, I think sometimes when you get two really high level combatants, um, it, it could be all played out in footwork and positioning, and perhaps makes it less visual. But certainly for a coach's mindset, we find that really interesting. But the prelims, um, yeah, they're really worth a look. I think everyone goes to the main card, don't they? But the prelims yeah. have got some corking fights and I really push for people to have a look and perhaps like you're doing, pick out a name and start following their career. Because um, I think on, on, on this weekend, you would have seen some people that are going to start making some big headway in the next two to three years. Oh, 100%, mate. There's something really special going on with um, the way they're, they're doing things at the Cage Warriors. Like, the prelims are always good. So I always, you know, I'm always sure to make sure I can watch them if I possibly can. Um, yeah. And they've, yeah, got, what, they've I... got a Dublin show, come, uh, Belfast yeah. show coming up, sorry. Um, and I... Reese McKee's going to be main event in that. That is going to be an electric atmosphere. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say. And if Reese McKee puts on a hell of a performance... I can see him go back UFC bound. Really interesting. Um, we've got Ian Gary fighting next week, mate. So we did the pre because I got my dates mixed up. Being honest, so we did our predictions for UFC two three two seven three last weekend with Volkanovski and Zo uh, Korean Zombie and stuff. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll you know we'll we'll kind of um, obviously we'll we'll see how we go. And uh, next week we're being joined by uh, Shore MMA's. Uh, newest professional, uh, Stephanie Evans. So really looking forward to speaking to Stephanie because, um, you know, we all know just how good the coaching and the, and the facilities and everything with Shaw MMA is. Um, and I've heard good things about her and her attitude and the, the little contact I've had with her. She seems, you know, really nice and she seems keen to to chat. So I'm looking forward to that, I've got to say. Good stuff. Yep, yep. Um, as always, Danny, a pleasure, my friend. Yep. Another good guest, another two good guests, because Ben's always value. Um, guys, check out Violet Money. Check out ExpressVPN. Everything's in the links, descriptions below. And uh, please just spread the word. Tell people. Um, I, I see a lot of comments saying, you know, most underrated fight show in the UK and best show fight show in this and that. Like, tell people that. Don't just tell us. Tell the people. Um, spread the word. Help us out. Um, got some good, really good guests coming up over the, the next few weeks if things pan out the way they are looking at the moment. So fingers crossed for us. Uh, see you soon. Take care. God bless. And good night. Good night. Hashtag don't be a dick. Sports Social Podcast Network.